Hey all, welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I'm Darren, I'm your host. Today we welcome back a guest we've had on before, Mr. John Setzler of Man Cave Meals. We're going to discuss grills, smokers, and how you can use smoke as a seasoning and all that. I'll be right back with John Setzler of Man Cave Meals. Smoking, grilling, getting hot and hotter, sous vide and chilling from fire and water. Hey all, before we get on to the show, I want to talk to you for a second about Instacart. Instacart's a great service that allows you to do all your grocery shopping online, and they can get you your groceries in as fast as one hour. They connect you with personal shoppers in your area that know your markets, and they can get them from your favorite stores. They find all the great buys and smart suggestions for you online to save you money. They pick the freshest produce, and they check your eggs and make sure they're not cracked. Check them out, guys. Instacart is offering free delivery on your first order of over $35 in the link below. Check them out. And now, on to the show. Welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I'm Darren. I'm your host. And I want to welcome back one of my previous guests, a friend of mine, Mr. John Setzler of Man Cave Meals. You might also see him in the Kamado Joe cooking uh, videos. But welcome back, John. Go ahead and just do a brief introduction of who you are again. Hi, Darren. Uh, happy New Year, and thanks for having me on again. My name's John Setzler, and uh, my gig is Man Cave Meals on Facebook. Uh, as far as social media is concerned, I do uh, Man Cave Meals on Facebook and on YouTube, and uh, I just love cooking. I'm I'm that guy that lives next door that's got a grill running just all the time. Well, that's for sure, and and you've got plenty of them on your man cave um, uh, deck now. Um, and I'm still envious of uh, some of the things you got on there. So um, let's let's kind of talk about that. You were just recently at uh, the Atlanta Grill Company, which is a big um, grilling uh, store out of uh, north of Atlanta in Roswell. And uh, I know that you've been hooked up with them. I, I even actually was up there last year. I missed this year, but. Um, I know you got to go up there and cook and, and see some new product and, and help with those guys. So how did that event go this year? Oh man, that's, that's always a lot of fun. That was the second big event I've gotten to uh, be involved with, with Atlanta grill company. The, uh, they had, they call it their fire sale. Uh, they do it annually in December and they do something like it in June also. But, uh, the December event was their kind of a first anniversary event of the grand opening of their new location. And, uh, they had a lot going on, uh, especially I think Kamado Joe was the main sponsor of the event. Uh, they had Chef Eric Gephardt there and Chef Alex Suckup uh, doing their Kamado magic. Had a couple of uh, other people like myself and a few uh, Luca Varini, uh, Jeff Ledbetter, a few other from our little uh, group there down there cooking. Uh, Matt Jones, we all had some something going on on somebody's grills and now i'm gonna feel guilty because i'm gonna leave somebody out uh we had quite a few people with a lot of things going on on a lot of grills and there's a huge crowd it's um just a constant flow of people i would hate to guess at how many thousands of people roll through atlanta grill company in a four or five hour period but uh they got big sales going. They have discounts on all the accessories. They have some grill discounts going, and it's just a huge event. 
there's people lined up with their trucks to haul their new grills and accessories and charcoal away. And it's a great opportunity uh, to get to see some of these grills in action, uh, to get to see the inventory that they actually have at Atlanta Grill Company and to meet uh, the guys that run the show down there. You've got uh, Gary and Jason and Marcus that really uh, keep that boat floating and they've got a lot of good things going on, a lot of good people working there. And I get to meet a lot of the people that uh, follow me on Facebook. I, I, you know, I take a lot of pictures with people that people want to meet me that have been following for, for so long. And it's just great. It really, you know, solidifies why I do this. When I get these people that walk up and say, man, I love cooking your recipes. Um, it's great to finally get to meet you. And it's, it's kind of humbling. Uh, so yeah, it's a it's a huge event, and it's well worth attending if you ever get the opportunity to go. Yeah, I got to participate in that last year, and uh, you know, at the grand opening of the new facility, and I was just uh, amazed at the a the size of the store, the inventory that they have, and the amount of people that that showed up. And last year, you know, when we did it in the grand opening, you remember it rained, you know, pretty much the whole time we were there, and there was still, you know a couple thousand people had must've come through that store during the day. And, you know, they sold, you know, I know several hundred grills that day cause they were, they were constantly busy and moving. And, uh, it was a, it, it's just an amazing store. If you're ever in the uh, Atlanta area, even if you're, you know, in the South area, even if you're in Macon, drive up to Atlanta and check out the Atlanta grill company, because it is something to see if you like grilling, um, you'll, you'll be there for at least a couple hours just you know looking through their sauces and rubs aisles <laughs> so it's amazing so um yeah right I've, I've been down there several times and it seems like every time i'm in there i see something new that i didn't see before i'm, I'm constantly discovering new things that they have and that place really is truly the candy store for the barbecue kids well and i think with all the the growth that's happening in the outside or outdoor cooking arena uh, is one of the things why that store is growing because, you know, we've kind of talked about this before over the last 10 years, you know, it used to be just, you know, a Weber kettle or, you know, an old gas grill or what have you is what people had on their back porch. But with all the technology and all the new fangled uh, cooking appliances that are out on people's patios anymore, it's just uh, constantly you turn around and there's something new coming out. It's it's it just seems to be growing a lot faster than it ever did before. What do you think about that? Oh, oh I, I definitely agree. It seems from my perspective that there's been, uh, I don't know if you want to call it a new revolution in barbecue and grilling uh, because of what you said, the technology, for instance, you know, the pellet grills are bringing in a crowd of uh, wood fire cookers that we didn't have before because they're, you know, practically as easy to operate as a gas grill and you can still get that wood fired flavor. The Kamado grills are, in my opinion, are giving you that same level of ease of use uh, maybe not quite as easy as a pellet grill, but with the uh, computerized temperature control systems that you can put on a Kamado grill these days, once you uh, light your fire and set your controller running, it's it's basically a set and forget system at that point. So, 
yeah, it's uh, it's opening doors and getting people away from gas grills. I've got nothing against gas grills. I cook on one here too, but it really is hard to beat that wood-fired flavor that you get from uh, charcoal and, and a wood fire. Yeah, and I think that was the big thing with gas grills. They were always the convenient option, you know, that somebody who didn't want to, you know, take the time to light the charcoal and clean up the mess. You know, it was pretty easy just, you know, turn it on and turn it off and like, like you did your oven. But, you know, we've had so much innovation in the wood fire, you know, with the pellet grills and even, even with the charcoal grills nowadays. I mean, you know, there's so much innovation coming out and, and new gadgets and, and new things that, you know, people are, are, designing and building to make it a lot easier to cook out on your patio i mean even these uh the flat top griddles like the camp chef and the blackstone i mean those things are really catching on fire because you know you know now people can cook the stuff that the you know they they used to back when they you know had to cook at mcdonald's or something you know i, I don't know what it is but i mean those things you know seem to be growing well so Absolutely. There's nothing like putting the Waffle House hat on and throwing some hash browns down on that griddle. Uh, I don't have a propane. Well, I've got a griddle that sits on my uh, Camp Chef propane stove. So I've got a little 18 inch griddle that I can use for that sort of thing. But man, I'm really space constrained these days. I would love to have a 36 inch griddle out there and I know I would cook on it a lot, but I just... uh I need to talk to the wife about uh, some expansion on the man cave party deck, maybe. <laughs> well, you know, you got that big alpha pizza oven out there that um, it's probably taking up a lot of room, but the, the, those things are pretty cool as well. Uh, what do you, what do you think? How, how do you like that thing? I know you've cooked some, that's a I pizza. know you've cooked some other things besides pizza on it. And that's one of the things I like is that you, you kind of do some videos that show you, you can, you can use these, um, you know, things like that, like the alpha, pizza oven for other things oh yeah the the alpha the alpha's awesome at pizza but it's awesome at a lot of other things as well and that's one of the the marketing uh things that alpha keeps using i think if you look at some of the posts that alpha makes on social media one of their hashtags is not only pizza or not just for pizza i can't remember exactly i think it's not only pizza is one of their things and i've done uh pizzas on it of course but i've cooked lasagna in it i've cooked uh you know sausage macaroni and cheese i've done there i cook macaroni and cheese on absolutely anything because that's just something we do but the uh i've done a boston bud in it i've done uh loaves of uh sourdough rustic style bread it's really a fascinating oven uh it it took me a little while to learn how to uh tame that beast but now that I've got the hang of it, there's really not much I can't cook on it. And uh, it just does a beautiful job. Yeah. And I think, you know, well, that's one of the things I live in Florida. You live in central North Carolina. I know a lot of people up north, you know, uh, where where it snows and gets really nasty as far as weather, don't have the opportunity to, to uh, cook, you know, that much outside during the wintertime. But I know I could cook pretty much all year round and I'd prefer to cook outside. Um you know, I do most of the cooking in my house and I know that you do too. So it's just more fun for me to figure out ways to move stuff that I would normally cook inside to the outside. And that's one of the things that I think some of these cookers have uh, made it easier to do. Like with the Kamados, you can do more than just, it's not just cooking hot dogs and hamburgers and, and brisket and pork butt anymore. You know, and that's one of the things I like about some of your videos. You show us 
all these things that you could normally, you would normally cook in an oven or some other different way and move them outside. Exactly. That's one of the things I say over and over again. Uh, if you can cook it in the oven, you can also cook it on a grill. And when people grab onto that uh, idea and run with it, you see them start to, they start looking for excuses to cook outside. And that's kind of what I did. You know, when I first started out, uh, all I ever did on a grill was hamburgers, hot dogs, steaks, and chicken breasts. And, you know, just like uh, average Joe next door, that's all I ever used the grill for. And uh, until I got my first smoker, which was the Weber Smoky Mountain, I never probably would have gone any further than that. But the uh, the ability to bring a grill up to a temperature range, you know, um, 350, 400, 450, or wherever you want it to be and park it there and have it maintain that temperature. It's it's an outdoor oven and you have to look at it that way. You can cook anything on it and that uh, fire that you build, however you uh, decide to build that fire is going to determine how much uh, beneficial flavor addition you're going to get to whatever you're throwing on there. The macaroni and cheese, for instance, takes on a beautiful flavor from a very clean burning uh, hardwood lump charcoal fire or the same sort of fire going on the uh, alpha oven, the pizza oven, for instance. Uh, it's just It just brings a new level of flavor to something that you're used to having come out of the oven. And people, people get into that. And once I can actually talk somebody into trying that, uh, they never seem to go back. They, they're hooked. Yeah. And I think a lot of people get in their head that everything's going to be really smoky when they cook it outdoors or they cook it in, in grills. And that's not necessarily the case. And we're going to kind of discuss that later on in this episode about smoke and how, how it can be used. But, you know, I tell people a lot, you know, you can cook a lot of things without using smoke or have very little smoke or, or very, that you couldn't even tell you cooked it out on a grill, you know, because, you know, right. you can control the amount of smoke, you know, and that's one of these, the things that some of these newer type cookers, like the one that you're working on now, the, the, the Caribbean and the uh, master built gravity fed smoker, where they produce the smoke in a different way that, um, the, the other grills don't. Right. The Caribbean is a, is a really unique, uh, design in the world of barbecue, that grill from the playing with I've done so far, or that smoker, I can produce heat and smoke that is so clean on that grill that you would think the food came off a gas grill. You would think there was no smoke involved. Uh, it's got controls where uh, you decide whether you want that clean or if you want it a little dirtier, and you get to learn to play with that. And I'm still in that learning stage of learning to play with where I get my smoke from in that smoker's firebox and it allows me to tailor that flavor. I could bake in that oven and I have no doubt that if I could get it hot enough that I would never know that it was uh, cooked over a wood fire. So yeah, there's a lot of, there's a learning curve to determining where your smoke's coming from and how much of it you're going to get. And like you said, we're going to talk about that in a little more detail. Yeah. And some of these newer pellet grills that have the Wi-Fi and, and some of the other functions to them. I know that Camp Chef just came out with their, you know, Wi-Fi uh, uh, pellet grill. And it's not just the Wi-Fi control, but what they also did is they incorporated, you know, the PID 
function where you can dial the smoke in a little bit more, fine tune it. So it's not just, you know, controlling just the temperature and try to figure it out from there. So some of these, they get a little bit more technical in, in their controls that they can actually dial that smoke in to, you know, very little smoke or, you know, a lot more smoke. So, I mean, that's, that's one of the things that just fascinates me about, you know, all the technology that's now in, in these new grills that's coming, that are coming out and that get, continue to just keep going. I mean, I just, every year, you know, it just something else new comes out, <laughs> you know, like this master built, uh, you know, gravity fed, uh, which is, you know, a lot of people are jumping all over it because it's supposed to be the pellet grill killer. You know, a lot of people don't like pellet grills because of the, you know, the smoke profile that they have. But um, this master built seems to be kind of like a, a hybrid. I know you've seen them in person and you've touched them and you, you kind of know the concept. Well, I got to play with one. Uh, master built had brought a couple of them to the Atlanta Grill Company event to show off. And uh, I did get to play with it. I'm, I've, I've been familiar with the concept of gravity feed smokers for a long time i've never owned one uh it's it's one of the few types of smokers i don't have any firsthand experience on but i do understand how it works and it, it's basically just a charcoal smoker but what master built's done they have automated it and turned it into basically a gravity feed smoker that's computer controlled uh, that concept's not entirely new either because uh, a lot of the, the competition-grade gravity-feed cabinet smokers that people have, they're running them with uh, tools like the Flame Boss and the Fireboard and the uh, the Barbecue Guru stuff. They've got computerized fan controls hooked up to those, but the difference, the difference you have here is a uh, master-built product that's $500 versus uh, a competition-grade cabinet smoker that starts at $1,500 and starts climbing the ladder from there. So it's it's brought that concept to an audience that it was not available to before. And it's uh, it's really interesting. I'm, I, I helped set a couple of these up at Atlanta Grill Company with uh, Chef Alex Suckup before the event. And I was really impressed with the way they work, uh, what they do, and how they work. But yeah, it's... Uh, it's another a tool that will give somebody access to a charcoal system that doesn't want to mess with charcoal. Yeah, and I think that's the whole uh, whole reason why people are getting into it a lot more. You know, it's some of the stuff that maybe the mystery that the you know competition barbecue guys, you know, back when you know they had that uh, you know the the show on uh, on on TV, you know <laughs> that uh, you know people say, oh man, I wish I could do that. You know now people can do that in their backyards or get get similar results or uh, you know have this type of stuff where they're not having to babysit a smoker for hours on end. You know which was always been the uh, the big issue is like you know, who's got twelve hours to you know, take care of, make it, feed the fire to make sure the brisket doesn't, uh, you know, uh, burn or get out of, you know, the fire doesn't get out of control or runs out of wood or, or stuff like that. So, uh, all these new gadgets really help out. And I think it's going to continue to grow once, once, uh, you know, these people realize that, man, you know, the, the amount of different kinds of food you can produce with these things is just amazing to me. 
It is. And I think the technology is going to keep growing just like every, every sector technology improves every, every year. It's at an alarming rate. And I really, you know, 15 years ago, I, I never would have imagined technology even really being a part of barbecue and grilling, but here we are, you know, it's, it's here and it's, uh, it's a big deciding factor these days. In fact, and as to what a customer will buy, you know, they go uh, shopping, they uh, want a pellet grill, but they don't want it unless it's got that Wi-Fi control where they can peek at their temperatures while they're at soccer practice with their kids or something, or check on the meat temperature while they're at work, you know, and run it while they're not even at home. So I guess in this day and time, you've got a, 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 base of users here that wants to be involved in barbecue, but they can't be at home during the time it takes to run it. And the Wi-Fi controls uh, give you that sort of ability to have a cook going at home and to tweak it and to know when something needs to happen when you're not even there. Well, and also the the price of these things have, have come down a lot. I mean, it used to be, you know, you had to really spend a lot of money to, to get some of these, um, you know, fancier, more sophisticated cooking systems. And, you know, like with the master bill, like you said, it's 500 bucks. I mean, you know, to get anything closer to that before you were in, you know, two, three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000 or more, because it's more for competition type guys that are willing to spend that type of money. But, um, the better technology gets, I guess, it's just like anything. I remember when plasma TVs were $7,000, you know, for, th- you know, a 40 inch plasma. And now they're, you know, 300 bucks. So <laughs> I guess the more it's out there and the more, uh, you know, it, it's geared more towards the everyday person, they sell more of them so that it just drives the price down and it gets more people involved. Well, it does. And, uh, it, the competition uh, keeps increasing in the market. You know, every now and then you'll have a new competitor come along. So when I first got into looking at automated temperature control for my Weber Smoky Mountain, the Barbecue Guru product was about the only product out there. Uh, I don't recall right offhand if there was actually anything else. I think that Auber Instruments may have had something going on at that time. But, you know, soon after Barbecue Guru started hitting the scene uh we had we had some new competitors coming along in the market uh i don't remember all of them there have been quite a few but you know some of the more common ones out there today are the the flame boss and the fireboard and they are uh really uh lighting up the scene literally with uh wi-fi control and monitoring and uh people are, are fascinated by data. You know, you can look at, you get to look at the graph of your temperature. You get to see the graph of your pit temperature versus the meat that's on it. You can monitor the pit temperature and you can monitor up to five or six pieces of meat at the same time with something like the, the fireboard. It's just incredible at what you can do with it. Yeah, exactly. And, um, like with these new pellet grills and stuff though, you can control, you can turn the temperature up, turn it down. Oh, even with the, uh, eye command on the Kamado Joe, you know, you can, you know, Hey, if you're like you said, across the room and all of a sudden, you know, you know, you, you, you're running out of time, your guests are going to arrive early or something. And you want your pork butt to be done, you know, an hour earlier, you can crank the heat up from your, uh, across the room and, and, and monitor it. So it's, uh, just amazes me, but, um, all right, well, we're going to go ahead and break for an ad here, and uh, 
talk about Inkbird for a second. But when we come back on the other side, we're going to talk about smoke. We're going to dig deep into your ideas and how smoke and my ideas too, and how smoke is used, how it can be used. So I'll be right back with John Setzler of Man Cave Meals. Hey all, it's Darren. And today I want to talk about the Inkbird Wi-Fi Rainproof 4 Pro Barbecue Thermometer that's brand new. The IBB Q4T has a rechargeable battery that can last up to 26 hours once it's fully charged. And you can monitor it from pretty much anywhere with the 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi that it uses. It comes with the brand new Inkbird Pro app that you can monitor your meat and the temperature of the grill from pretty much anywhere. From your house, anywhere in the house, from your office, from the store, driving down the street. Inkbird makes some really awesome barbecue products, and this one is no exception. Check it out below with the link to Amazon. You can use the code that's listed for $30 off, making it only $70. Check out Inkbird and all their products. Now back to the Fire & Water Cooking Podcast. Okay, we're back, and let's let's dive into this because this is a great topic. I, I, I had a, a lady on um, last year on the podcast who actually runs a uh, business out in California where she sells, you know, smoking wood and she sells a lot to comp barbecue guys and restaurants and all that. And we had a good discussion, but I know this is something you, you, you know, and you, you delve deep into a lot is using smoke as a seasoning. So let's talk about that. Well, yeah, I listened to that podcast and uh I was fascinated with the kinds of woods and whatnot she has. I'm I'm actually probably gonna try some of her product this year, but yeah, smoke is a uh smoke is a spice. That's what, the way I like to define it. You treat it like any other spice. And uh, just like any other spice, you can have too much of it on your food. So one of the things that you have to be real careful of when you're dealing with smoke is smoke's perfectly capable of ruining whatever you're putting it on. So it's always better when you are learning to use smoke, use less rather than more because nobody's ever going to step away from your dinner table and say, dang, that didn't have enough smoke on it. But if they're smelling like smoke in their cars when they leave your leave your house for dinner, you probably put a little bit too much on it. Yeah, I've oversmoked, you know, uh, poultry is one of the things that can get oversmoked really quick, especially if you use, you know, super strong wood or way too much of it. And um, I've had a smoked turkey that, like you said, you know, after you're done eating it, you can smell it for three days afterwards. <laughs> Exactly. And my personal preference in smoke has changed since I started doing this. I used to like a heavier smoke profile. I used to, you know, when I first got started smoking on that Weber Smoky Mountain, I oversmoked everything I cooked because I didn't think if I didn't see smoke coming out of the smoker, I thought I, I thought it wasn't working. So I'd throw another hunk of wood on there. But over the years, my personal uh, taste in smoke has has become uh, the less is more idea. I like to have a very light smoke profile on what I cook. In my perfect world, my smoked food, when I pick it up off the plate and raise a fork to my mouth, that's when I'm going to smell the smoke. 
uh, or that's when I like to smell it. I don't care if I can smell it while it's sitting on the dinner table, but I want to smell it when I, when I put it in front of my face. And it's really hard to do. It's kind of hard to get smoke that subtle, but that's, that's my personal goal with it. Yeah, I kind of agree. It's, it's something just like, you know, I use the analogy of salt, you know, salt is good and it's got, you know, it, it can make things delicious, but it could also, you can overpower food with salt and make it to where you just can't eat it. And I think the same thing with, with smoke, you know, if you use the wrong kind of wood to smoke or you use too much, and especially, like I said, on certain types of foods, you know, fish or poultry, you know, you can definitely overpower it. And, you know, like you said, you know, just make it to where you you don't want to eat that again. That's why I, exactly. I that's why I have a, I have people, you know, they, you know, they'll, they'll smoke a turkey and it's, I always tell them just don't use too much wood or don't use mesquite, you know, or, you know, or, 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 or oak, you know, use something. If you're going to use oak or hickory, make sure you just use very little of it because it can overpower it. Well, my, exactly. My, my personal preference with poultry is I don't even throw any smoke wood on that. If I'm cooking on something like the Kamado, um, I get enough of a smoke flavor just from the hardwood lump charcoal itself to satisfy my personal taste for smoke in, in the poultry. But, uh, you know, yeah, it, it always does start. It's a good idea to start out low. I recommend people don't put more than one wood chunk on there for your first cook and eat that. And, you know, and if you decide that that wasn't enough smoke next time you cook one, add a little bit more, but don't overdo your first one because you'll turn your family off. You'll turn your family and friends off of eating your smoked foods. If you really make it too smoky and acrid, they're not, they're not going to want to come back. And I think, you know, talking about that, one of the uh, draws to pellet grills and, uh, you know, you see in some of these smoking groups on Facebook, you know, a lot of people complain that, they're not smoky enough for them. You know, those are the regular barbecue guys, but a lot of people like that lighter smoke profile. Like you said, you know, they don't want that heavier smoke. So it, it makes it more, uh, it's easier for them also, but they don't get that heavy smoke profile that they've had before and, and just and disliked because I'm sure a lot of people that don't eat barbecue all the time don't like a real heavy smoke profile. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that, that I want to talk about also when we talk about uh, how different grills produce smoke, because I have a theory about what you said. You know, you said a lot of people think that pellet grills don't produce enough smoke or heavy enough smoke. I have a theory about that. Those people are people that have experience with other types of grills. I've never heard anybody make that complaint if they are a person who their first wood-fired grill was a pellet grill, uh, they love it. You know, they think it's beautiful and they, they love the smoke flavor they get from that. But it is a different uh, smoke produ production process on a pellet grill than it is with something like a Kamado or a Weber kettle. And the results are different because of it. Right. So let's get into the different types of wood that produced, you know, that, that you use for smoke, you know, of course, most, most of them, right. are, you know, they have to be like a nut wood. They're not, or, or a fruit type wood. They're not something like a pine or anything like that uh, because of the heavy sap and all that. Right. Right. Uh, the smoking woods typically are all hardwood. I don't know of any non hardwoods, but 
in general, a fruit woods and nut woods are good smoking woods. That's not always the case. Uh, one comes to mind uh, right away that I had a, a bad personal experience with was walnut. Uh, for some reason or another, that's not a good smoking wood. And don't ask me how I know, but just take my word for it. So yeah, all nut woods are not good, but here's the deal. If you're shopping for uh, smoking woods, whatever you find in a bag available to buy is going to be a good smoking wood. You're not going to have to guess at whether or not it's okay to use that. But if you're going to cut a log out of your neighbor's uh, backyard from a tree that fell and turn it into smoking wood, you might want to do a little research beforehand to make sure you're not going to ruin whatever food you put on the grill with it. But yeah, all of those, the nuts and fruits, you've got uh, apple, uh, cherry, peach, uh, people use orange wood. You might be able to get a hold of some of that down in Florida pretty easily. A pear is a very light uh, grape. People use grapevine, and uh, those are all fairly light. The fruit woods are typically uh, a less intense than some of the nut woods. You come up the ladder, and you, you get on the nut woods with like oak and pecan. Uh, those are fairly mild or, or mid-range uh, smoke intensities in the nut woods and then you go on up the ladder you've got hickory uh hickory is uh fairly uh powerful and mesquite's incredibly powerful uh so yeah knowing what kind of wood produces what intensity of smoke's a good thing because if you take one fist size chunk of hickory it's going to produce a lot more powerful a smoke flavor on your food than one fist size chunk of something like cherry. Yeah. And, or apple apples, kind of a light wood. And, you know, um, I always tell people to start out with, you know, I love pecan and I love mixing it with like cherry or apple because it can give you, you know, a couple different profiles and that's just like mi mixing salt and pepper or garlic together, you know, mixing some of these woods together can give you a different flavor, you know, a different end product. But one of the woods I simply cannot stand and I won't use, I used to use it. I used it, you know, when I first started and I, I, I don't know why. I think it was one of the things like you, when you used walnut, I used mesquite um, to uh, cook a pork butt or something. And it had, you know, I guess I used way too much and it just, for some reason, it left like an oily aftertaste, you know, and it was just it got me to, you know, I will never use mesquite on anything again. And I don't know, you know, people in Texas seem to love it. And I guess it's still one of the, you know, they sell it around. So I guess people use it a lot, but that's one of the woods I won't, I won't ever use again. <laughs> well, it is. And it's, it's iconic in the world of barbecue. And it, one of the things that makes mesquite iconic is the aroma. And that's, that's the case with all smoking woods. Uh, you've got a taste on one side to look at and if you got aroma on the other side not many people believe me when i tell you this but in my opinion i don't know if i'm in opinion or fact here but the taste is all the same uh, your your salt analogy was a was a good thing for using uh when you're figuring out smoke taste uh, a, a perfectly salted item you could compare that with something like cherry. And when you move up to oak, the uh, the example would be that's, that's borderline 
that's about the maximum amount of salt you would want. And then you move up to something like hickory or mesquite, and it may you can call that oversalted. The the flavor is not changing per se when you go to the more intense smoke woods, but the intensity of the flavor is what's changing. So yeah, that's a different flavor, but it's really the same flavor at a more intense level. Uh, the real differences in the smoking woods, from what I can tell, are the aroma. Uh, if you hold your nose when you're eating food, you know, you can't, when you don't smell the aroma, a lot of things taste the same. And that 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 holds true for smoke as well. Yeah, I kind of I kind of agree. And that goes back to your analogy on, you know, some of the things where you don't, you know, you, you want the smoke to hit you when you get it up close to your face and not reeking from the table or or from the room you know the, the room next door which you can smell it before you get in the next room to uh to do that so i guess that the aroma to me as well you can really tell when you're producing way too much smoke from a grill you know when you walk out on your deck and you can just tell that's way too much smoke coming out of there uh, let alone you know the color well sometimes uh the smoke I expect more of an aroma when I'm out on the party deck simply because that smoke is wafting in the air around where I'm cooking. I don't expect the aroma to be low out there, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good gauge and you kind of have to look at your grill. You know, one of these people uh, are telling everybody that the color of the smoke that comes out of your grill is going to tell you whether it's good or bad. That's, that's another a pet peeve point of mine because that's not always true it's not usually true thin blue smoke yeah that might be good but if there's white smoke coming out of your grill it's not necessarily bad smoke it's not necessarily smoke at all or it's not necessarily smoke that's coming from the wood there's a lot of things going inside going on inside a grill that'll change the color of your smoke that's got nothing to do with whether it's good or bad smoke. Right. I think the the whole thin blue smoke thing came from, you know, people wanting to give somebody an idea of when the, all the, uh, the bad stuff is burnt off, you know, but you know, really white smoke has got a lot of water in it. You know, it's a lot of steam coming out of it. It's not just, you know, you know, the bad, the bad stuff that makes it taste bad as well. So. You get a lot of white smoke also from fat burning. If you've got uh, a Boston Bud on your grill and it's dripping fat on a hot heat deflector or into the into the coals itself, it's going to produce white smoke. And that is far from a bad smoke. That smoke is definitely the kind of smoke you want to have coming back onto your food. That's for sure. So let's talk about <clears throat> different smoke or different uh smokes for different foods we kind of hit on that a little bit um you know you want your lighter woods like apple and and pecan and stuff like that for more like your poultry and fish right well yeah it's it's in this uh in this question it's all really a personal preference in my opinion i don't i'm not one to pair uh a smoke source with a food like you know people say alder works great with with fish for instance or uh, apple works great with pork or oak works great with beef brisket um that that's all fine and well and it's a personal preference i think the aroma 
should if you should find a smoking wood that has an aroma that you like and and use it one of my guilts when it comes to this is in this point in my smoking career i'm using about two different kinds of smoking wood and i use them in a 50 50 mix about all the time and on about everything i'm mixing uh 50 pecan 50 percent cherry when i can and every now and then i'll do the exact same thing with hickory and apple and uh i don't i don't think that uh i really need to go off the deep end you know pairing a particular smoke with a particular food i just i don't do it my my dinner guests never ask me what kind of wood did you smoke that with it's just not the conversation that comes up about the food if it comes up i don't typically start conversations about food with people that are eating it but if somebody asks you know i'm happy to tell them and the you know i just try to avoid that but there's charts all over the internet. If you'll Google a smoke pairing with food, you'll find a bunch of them. And you'll also find that uh, different sources don't agree with each other. People will tell you one wood works great here and somebody else will tell you that another one works great there. So it's just, it's a personal preference thing. And that's about where I like to leave it in terms of pairing. Well, I think a lot of people get that from the intensity of the smoke that each wood produces. And like you said, you can control that with all the different woods you know if you you could over smoke something with alder just as well as you could a hickory or or oak uh, by you know dumping a lot more of it in there i'm sure so you can control the amount of smoke that's going to hit your food no matter what kind you're using except for mesquite i hate mesquite so just saying that <laughs> but um but you know I, I kind of agree i i tend to use a lot of pecan and i mix it with cherry or apple and once in a while, you know, if I can't find pecan, I'll grab hickory. And, and what I do with that is I'll use about half as much hickory as I would pecan because, because of the right. intensity of the hickory, you know, it's a very similar, uh, profile as pecan, but it's just more intense, like you said. So I'll just, instead of using, you know, uh, you know, a, a fist size chunk of pecan, you know, with hickory, I, I might use a half a fist size, you know, so. Um, you can control the intensity of the food. So like you said, you know, it doesn't have to be a specific wood for a specific type of food. It's more, you can control no matter what kind of wood you're using, you can control the intensity that that, that food's going to get, you know, from the smoke. It, exactly. And that's how I, that's how I like to look at it. Yeah. And I think, you know, people put those charts out there because it you try to make it easy. You know, they try to make it easier for people. Well, you know, if you use alder for fish, you know, then you're not going to, you know, oversmoke it unless you, you know, dump the whole thing, you know, full of alder in there. So, yeah, you know, it's just right. trying to make things more simple for people. But And they're often coming from a place that would like to sell yeah. you uh, five different bags of wood chunks instead exactly. of just one. <laughs> so uh, let's let's kind of move on from the pairings because that's you kind of I think we're on the same same thing. You know, people can, they can use the different kinds of wood if they feel like it, if they want to, you know, go by those charts. But I think once people start experimenting. Exactly. And that's, that's where you want to leave it. You recommend try all of it, try every bit of it that you can get your hands on at one point or another and figure out which ones you like. 
Right. Exactly. And then, then when, once you start playing around with it yourself, then you figure it out how much, how much of, you know, pecan do I need for, you know, poultry as opposed to pork or, or beef? Cause you know, beef can take smoke a little bit more. So, Hey, I, end I end up using more smoking wood for beef than I do poultry for sure. So. Right. Okay. Well, let's get into how smoke is uh, produced. And, and, and different kinds of smoke. Well, um, smoke is produced by burning the wood, and it's as simple as that. And then it immediately turns not simple because you've got to look at whether the wood's, how that wood's burning and in what environment that wood is burning. In the best case scenarios for producing smoke, you've got to, a chunk of wood that's on fire with a visible flame that that is the holy grail especially in the world of competition barbecue you see all these guys out here with these 15 or twenty thousand dollar trailered offset smoker rigs they've got a firebox on one end of it where they've got a small hot fire going and the wood that's on that fire is ignited it is combusting with a visible flame that's producing clean smoke at the other end of that scale, you've got a low oxygen environment where that wood is just smoldering rather than uh, burning with a visible flame. And what's happening when this wood is smoldering or burning, the, the volatile compounds in that wood, those saps and rosins and the water, different things are happening to it. When you got that hot fire, the flame more of that stuff is burning away. When you've just got it smoldering, it's just vaporizing some of that. It's not all burning away. So the smoldering wood produces a more intense version of that same wood. So if you've got cherry, for instance, that we talked about being a light intensity smoke wood, cherry that is smoldering produces a more intense flavor than cherry that is ignited and burning. So you've got got to look at that also. You got to know your pit. You've got to know how your smoke's being produced so you can figure out uh, which type of wood you want to use and how much of it. Because like I said, one fifth size chunk of cherry in a Kamado is going to produce a more intense smoke profile than one fifth size chunk of wood burning in a stick burner. So that's two ends of the spectrum. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's one of the things with the, the popularity of, especially in the competition uh, circuit with stick burners, is because you can cook at a higher temperature with that, you know, all those you know sticks of wood and get a cleaner, better tasting smoke profile than you could on just, uh, you know, a Kamado or a Weber kettle or even a, you know, Weber Smoky Mountain because you're using charcoal for your heat and your, your wood is mostly smoldering. It's not, you know, burning flame. Well, it's not necessarily a lower temperature when you're, when you're talking about these offset cookers, they're larger cookers. The cooking chamber on those is typically a lot bigger than something like a Weber Smoky Mountain or a Kamado and, you can still cook at 225, 250, 275 in that environment. You just have a small fire. You have to adjust the temperature in your pit by how big your fire is. And it's uh, 
the difference you have there, the trade-off you get, that fire and that offset cooker has got to be constantly maintained. And when I say constantly maintained, I say anywhere between every 30 minutes to an hour, you have to feed it some more wood. It's not a set and forget system. So there's where part of your trade-off is on how your smoke gets produced. Yeah. And mostly your, 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 uh, stick burners are bigger. So they got, you know, more air in there to keep that temperature. You know, your, your thermometer is not right up close to your, um, you know, firebox, your, your thermometers over by where your food is, which is quite a ways away than compared to a Kamado or a chart or a Weber or, or a smoky mountain where it's underneath and it's going straight up at it. So the, you know, the heat's kind of, that's why it's offset. It's kind of going sideways. So the air is cooling as it's heading towards the food, you know, you know, exactly. You, so that's what I mean. Your, your fire is a lot hotter, you know, but your yes. temperature, your pit is, is the same. Right. So you have to burn a hot, right. The fire yeah, is a lot exactly. So, um, and the pellet grill produces a fire in almost the exact same way as an offset. You've got a, you've got a very small hot fire burning in a pellet grill, and you've got a high airflow, a high air volume, which is giving you that uh, that cleaner smoke that we talked about, which produces a lighter intensity smoke profile. And like we talked about earlier, your your pellet grill people. The, the pellet grill owners who say that it's not a heavy enough smoke profile are comparing that to a system like a Kamado or like a Weber Smoky Mountain where the smoke's coming from a low airflow uh, smoldering smoke type of environment, which is true. You know, they're not telling you, they're not telling you a lie. They're just comparing it to the different setup. And don't get me wrong here either. I'm not saying that the Kamado or something like the Weber Smoky Mountains a poor environment. It's just an environment you need to master by learning how much smoke wood to put in there. You can get great tasting smoke on these uh, smoldering systems just by uh, uh, throttling the amount of smoke wood you put in there to start with. Right. It's just like, you know, a you know competition pit master learning how to keep his big uh offset at 225 you know just what size fire and how much he has to put in every hour to keep it right where it needs to be there's an art to it you know it was a learning curve right it's definitely an art it's definitely an art and it's it's very important to know your pit you need to the more you use it the better you'll get at it and when something's not right when something doesn't come out like you like it it's good it's kind of good to have notes I, I recommend uh, you know people that are learning while you're learning your pit keep notes how much smoke wood did I put in there how what temperature was I running those those two variables are gonna f- stay fairly constant so if you're running it like a Kamado for instance at 300 degrees the airflow through that Kamado is going to be about the same if you're running at 300 degrees no matter what you're doing so the you know how much smoke wood you put on there. So next time, if you need more smoke or less smoke, you can adjust the amount of wood you put on there as long as you're still cooking at 300 degrees. Kind of like what uh, Harry Sue always says. It's not the uh, pit, it's the pit master. How, how you, you know, um, exactly. and Aaron Franklin, you know, he's one of the most uh, famous, I guess, and Franklin Barbecue is one of the most iconic barbecue places out there that people want to visit. But if you ever watched how he cooks, it's very simple. 
you know, it's salt and pepper is his seasonings. He uses a certain, you know, uh, CAB type brisket, but you know, it's all about him knowing how to use his cookers, you know, to, to maximize the flavor of his, you know, end product. So, right. Aaron, Aaron knows his pit and Harry Sue knows his pits. I was fortunate enough to get to take Harry Sue's barbecue class at his house quite a few years ago. And, uh, it's amazing what you can do when you know how to run your equipment, Harry, you know, how many, I don't know how many championships and grand championships Harry's won with a $300 smoker, you know, and it's all, he knows how, and that's a low airflow, uh, low oxygen environment where your wood is smoldering. And, you know, like I said, that produces a more intense smoke flavor, but Harry knows how to make that work. You got to, you got to know yeah, your pit. That's Aaron's Franklin's big secret. It's not because, you know, if you watch him, I use salt and pepper. He doesn't use any kind of super secret seasonings or, or anything like that or sauces or, you know, injections or anything. It's pretty much knowing how to control the pit and the smoke that's going to that meat. <laughs> you know? Right. And, you know, it's, it's, that's all it takes is, is practice. And some of us will never master the pit, you know, would you, you know, I, I've cooked a lot. I, I've cooked more on a Kamado than, than a lot of Kamado owners have, but I'm still learning new ways to do things on a Kamado grill. Um, I've tried a lot of different things, you know, I've experimented with it and it's fun. I always learn something and it's, uh, the problem that I face is I, I don't really, people don't get to see how many different things I experiment with on a Kamado because I just simply cannot make video of everything I do. <laughs> and the, the things that I show on video for people are the easiest ways. They're not necessarily the best ways, but they're ways that work and they're ways that produce good results. Yeah, I think I've done one video where I said, don't do this. And I think it was a duck video <laughs> and I don't like making those videos either, but I kind of like said, you know what? I'm going to do this because this is a duck is something that people don't cook very often. It's kind of hard right. and I don't want to pretend like I'm an expert at duck. I, I'm going to show somebody, you know, my, my mistake, you know? Well, it's, it's difficult to, to make a video showing somebody how to keep a small hot fire going in a Kamado grill. I've done a Boston bud on a Kamado where I cook with the vents fully open and have a wood chunk in there burning and ignited the whole time, just like it would be in a, in an offset. And it produces a different result. But if I made a video on that, what you're going to see is me every 15 or 20 minutes tending the fire. And I don't think that's what a Kamado owner is after. People who buy Kamado grills aren't buying that grill so they can tend it every 15 or 20 minutes. They buy that grill because they know how rock solid that grill will run for 15 hours without anybody having to touch it. So... You know, that's the other reason I don't show all that stuff in video is because it's not what it's not really what the owner's looking right. for. Right. And I think, you know, that's why all the, the pellet grills are exploding and all these other uh, controllers, 
you know, are growing because people want the convenience. They want the barbecue, you know, they want to be able to say they're a pit master, barbecue pit master, but they really don't want to do the work and the, and the studying and the, the time that it takes. They want to be able to, you know, stick a controller on there or use a pit, a, a pellet grill that has the controls and then turn out a fantastic product and they can go, look at me, I'm a barbecue pit master. <laughs> That, that's that's fine. I'm happy for that. I'm happy for that guy because he's out there doing it. And I, I've become an advocate. Uh, I've become a big advocate of these temperature control systems over the last couple of years. I used to be that guy that says, oh, you don't need that. Learn how to run your grill and save the couple hundred dollars. But now after I've been using, I've been using these things fairly heavily over the last two years. And I have learned exactly how much time and work they can save me. So yeah, if you don't have a temperature control system or an automated grill, put that on your wish Exactly. List. I don't, you know, if it makes more people grill in their backyard and, 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 and learn new things, you know, cause then they can start all that time. It took them to do that stuff. They can do new recipes and figure out more stuff they can cook outside. So. Absolutely. But, uh, well, that's great. I mean, I think that was a pretty good, uh, good talk about smoke do you want anything anything else you want to talk about smoke i know i, I kind of said i want to talk about how people use smoke differently like for cocktails and stuff like that but i don't really have a whole lot of experience with it i've just seen it done where people use these uh, smoking guns to um you know use it for cocktails or to put on uh gourmet type food i mean one of the things that i saw when we went on our cruise uh last couple of times we did the chef's table where they'll take like little pieces of um tuna you know that they've made certain ways and they put put it under the you know the big glass dome with the smoke in it and you get maybe 10 seconds of smoke on it and you can it, it does put a little bit of a smoke flavor to whatever they're serving but it's nowhere near like what you would get, you know, if you were cooking on a grill. So, but, um, you know, I do see smoke being used in all kinds of different ways and liquid smoke and all that. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm, you know, all for it. If that's what people want, uh, I'm not one that you'd ever catch smoking ice cubes or smoking, uh, alcohol for a drink because, my problem is, is I get enough smoke. I don't, I don't, I'm not looking for additional things to put smoke on at the man cave <laughs> because man, my man cave smells like smoke most of the time anyway. So it, I'd have to work really hard to make a glass of whiskey, uh, get a little smoke aroma on it. And yeah, uh, I like good whiskey too much to, uh, to, to mess with it. Uh, I'd rather have it just as it is over a big old uh, ice ball. <laughs> I, I kind of agree. And I think some, some of that stuff, especially <laughs> like I said, with the smoking guns, you know, the, a lot of that stuff is for show more than anything. Yeah. And it's fun. And I'm, I'm all supportive of the people that want to do that. I would never try to say, don't do that. It's just not my gig. Uh, Liquid smoke, however, does have a place in my life. Uh, I don't know if it's something I should even talk about because that's about as taboo in this field as using uh, Kingsford starter fluid to light your grill. <laughs> um, I, mean, I, I kind of agree with you. I think liquid I, smoke does have a a place, to, you know, especially for use in sauces and stuff like that. Um, I 
I'll just leave it at this. I do use liquid smoke for some things. I'm just not going to tell you where I do it. <laughs> well, that's fair enough, but I think it has its place. But I, one of the things I, I don't like about it, you know, I won't use it in like sausage or anything like that, just because of the fact that I just don't know how to use it to where, because it can be overpowering. Like you said, um, well, it's just like, it's just right. like your wood smoke. You have to experiment with it. You have to air on the low side and figure out where your sweet spots are because yes, you can use too much of that. Yeah, and it doesn't well. take a lot. It's very, very concentrated stuff. So, but, um, definitely it's, uh, you know, it's a product that's there and people use it. I mean, I've seen one of the places that I've seen it used, which I just can't stand is people will inject turkeys and, and poultry with it. And some of these like pre-smoked turkeys you buy, that's what they use. And it's like, you can really tell that it's, it's an overpowering, uh, flavor. Yeah. I think they might do that right. once. <laughs> well, anything else you want to talk about, John? I think it's about time for us to wrap up. I think it was a great conversation today. Uh, well, not a whole lot. I've got a couple of new things happening, uh, for me in 2020. Uh, you're going to see this. You're the first person I've told about this, but I'm going to be partnering, uh, pretty heavily with Atlanta Grill Company in 2020 uh, uh, to be, you know, working with their social media campaigns. I'm going to be producing some video content uh, for Atlanta Grill Company. We're going to do cooking. Uh, Atlanta Grill Company is going to bring up a YouTube channel. Uh, so we're going to be having a lot of fun in that area. So you'll just have to kind of stay tuned and uh, I'll keep you up to date as that progresses. Now, are you going to be able to uh, have those videos and stuff on the Man Cave Meals Facebook group as well? Or uh, I will share them to the Man Cave. Any any video that I produce, uh, these will be produced directly for Atlanta Grill Company. So they will appear on Atlanta Grill Company's Facebook page and their YouTube channel. But I will make them visible on Man Cave Meals as well. Okay. Just so people, I'm going to link to, uh, your, your man cave meals, Facebook page, uh, in the description below, but also I'll, I'll link to the Atlanta grill companies as well so that, uh, the listeners can check them out. Um, but also check out man cave meals, YouTube channel as well. John Setzler does a lot of work also, um, has a lot of videos on YouTube for the Kamado Joe, uh, cooking channel as well. Um, I've followed him for years, uh, also, the Kamado Guru website is still around. I know that's one of the things that you actually started years ago, and it's still there. Um, and it's even has a, has a good Facebook group as well. So check those out. Thanks, John. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, more than glad to have you on again anytime you want to come on and have discussion. Thank you, Darren, and we'll definitely do it again. I enjoy doing it. All righty. We'll see you again on the next Fire & Water cooking podcast well all thanks again for joining us on the fire and water cooking podcast today i want to thank john setzler man cave meals make sure you check out the links below uh, to his facebook group and page and um, make sure you also uh, check out the atlanta grill company make sure you follow us on facebook instagram twitter we have a great facebook group and page lots of interaction make sure you follow our youtube channel fire and water cooking Check out our website, fireandwatercooking.com, and join me again next time on the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast.